0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Solomon, after he completes uh, building it, we know this, huh, you guys, that it, just because you have a building, it doesn't mean that God's going to bless it, huh? I mean, we could have like a fancy schmancy building made out of gold, which in one sense is what they had, but without the Lord, it's just totally empty man, and that's where we come to now they they got done building the temple, and it's an amazing thing, but man, the temple needs to be filled, and it needs to be flooded with the lord and you know what you want to know something you guys you're the temple, and you are you know and you're amazing. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and uh, when you look at the human anatomy it's just uh, mind-boggling. But in one sense if I could say this not to offend anybody but without the Lord it's empty. Without the Lord filling your life uh it's it's an empty life. It's a, it's a vain life. But when the Lord fills your life and really this is where we want to be as Christians God empty me of myself. I have nothing good Lord, I'm just nothing but bad, and Lord, so empty me of myself, and fill me with you. I don't want people to taste anything about me, because I have nothing good to offer, but when you allow the Lord to fill your life, and to fill your heart, it's just so beautiful to see what God does, and so I want to encourage you guys in that. You know, uh, you're a work in process, and don't be discouraged because you're not perfect yet. Although some of you, I look at you and like think I, you're almost there, but but you're not. You know, we're not going to be there until we're in heaven. But until then, he's he's building us up, and and it's so cool to be able to study the Bible together. I hope that you're never bored with the Bible. You're like, I want to go to the movies, man. There's a lot of cool movies, and yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's You know, some action out there, and you get to see the visual stimuli and all that, and whatever you like to do to, you know, enjoy yourself. But I do pray that God would develop within you a hunger for the Word of God. Like when you go to church, you're like, hey, Manny, you know, teacher, preacher, whoever you are, just give me the Word. Just give me the Word, because it's the Word of God that is true, it's the Word of God that will build you up. Because we live in a world that's flooded with lies. And this is how we learn the principles on how to live. And we're going to see some of those today, and I pray that God will plant them in your heart. But we begin reading here in 1 Chronicles, I'm sorry, 2nd Chronicles chapter 5. Notice it says in verse 1, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Now, according to 1 Kings uh, chapter 6, and verse 38, it took seven years to complete the construction of the temple. You know, and I don't know about you, but that seems like a long time, man, seven years to build the temple. Um, but... It's probably not, you know, especially when you consider the vastness of that task, you know. Uh, Seven years is what? It's the number of completion, right? It's the number of perfection. You know, it's funny because sometimes you'll talk to Christians and they're like, man, I've been walking with the Lord for, you know, seven days now and I'm not there yet, you know, and I, I haven't arrived yet and they get all frustrated and they start beating themselves up and, And you know what? It takes time to build something good. It really does. You're not going to be Mr. Super Christian overnight. You know, what I always try to tell people is just never give up. And make sure you're heading in the right direction. You know, here, it's so cool, though, the day came that they did finish the temple. And and what a good feeling that must have been. What a feat to actually finish the work. You know, I want to encourage you guys along that same line, too, that I believe all of us here have a work to do. Uh, How many of us here, however, would confess the fact that you start things a lot of times and you don't finish them? You know, how many of you here would confess the fact that you have projects at home that you haven't finished? Amen? Books that you started that you haven't finished. I mean, you name it. It could be so many things. I mean, you could have been... You know, in sports, and you you know—you did three years, but you didn't do your fourth year because you got caught up in drugs and you didn't finish. What, Whatever it is, there's a lot of things that we don't finish. We're good at starting things. But let that not be the testimony of the life that we live for the Lord. T- Solomon was called primarily, we're going to see, to lead and to build the temple. And it's so cool to see how they eventually finished the work. You know, so many never really finish. Uh, what ends up happening is this. They die distracted. Let that not be you and me. Here they finished the work and they brought in all the treasuries. And you guys know how it is too. You build a house. I wonder if anyone's here. Uh, I mean, I would have you raise your hand, but then I might be jealous of you for the rest of your life. I wonder if anyone here has ever built a house from the ground up. You know, you bought a piece of land, and oh, look, he raised his hand. <laughs> you know, and you build a house, you design it from the ground up, right? But still, it's just a house. you got to fill it with all the furnishings, and that's what they did at this point. The gold, the silver, and the things that many, including David, had dedicated to the Lord, right? And so we read here in verse 2, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribes of the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is in Zion. And so you, you got your house. What's your most important piece of furniture in your house? Flat screen, right? You guys know that. <laughs> for some, they'd say stove or this refrigerator. Some would say couch. I don't know what it is for you. But I do know what it was for the temple. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what we're there bringing in now. Of all the furnishings, this was the most important. The Ark of the Covenant. It was symbolic of the cross of Christ. It was symbolic of the presence of God. It was even symbolic of the throne of God. It was symbolic in one sense of heaven coming to earth. I mean, it's just a beautiful uh, illustration in the Bible when you study the Ark of the Covenant. And at that time, the ark was in Jerusalem, but it was in Mount Zion. And Mount Zion was known as the city of David, but now it would be brought to the Temple Mount, and it would be brought into the temple. We read in verse 2. And then in verse 3, it says Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle, the priests and the Levites brought them up. And we're moving now, you know, we, we see a lot of things, I think, in going through this text. It's not a very easy text to outline by any means, but we're moving now towards one of the main principles we're going to see in that they all work together. There was a unity involved. We read in verse 2 that uh, that word assembled, you know, that Solomon assembled, and that all the men of Israel, we read in verse 3, uh, assembled. You know, verse 2, it mentions the elders, that's the older guys that were wise. The, the heads of the various tribes are mentioned in verse 2, even the chief fathers. And so you got a lot of important people, so to speak, um, verse 3 mentions all the men of Israel and verse 4, all the elders, and now we see the Levites. We know they were the ones that carried the ark, right? And, and what we're going to see in, in this section is a great unity here. Uh, there was a time, this was a time, where it seemed like there was a great love for the Lord when all were on board, you know? And when that happens, when there's a great love for the Lord and everyone's on the same page and you have a united heart, and you're knit together then, man, there is no stopping that church. There is no stopping that ministry. There is no stopping that family when they are in harmony, when they are in unity, when, you know, it's not about me. It's not about, well, you know, I'm getting offended because, you know, I'm not the top gun or whatever it might be. No, it's just, you know, you're working together for the glory of God. I mean, even our Easter service, you know, we're so blessed, um, To see everybody come together. I mean, there's no way that that Easter service would have been possible if it were not for just the plethora of beautiful people who sacrificed uh, a lot in order to work for that day. And not just that day, on that day. I don't know if you guys checked out the nursery, man. But they're the ones that are going to get the big rewards. And there was uh, 40 kids in that nursery, ma'am, but they were there, they were not sitting in the service, they were serving, they were probably cleaning diapers. I mean, they're pulling out their hair and I, I don't know how bad it was, but so that the parents could sit in. You know, and up to that point, you got the sound guys are coming in here, you know, every day for a week, or the musicians rehearsing. You've got, you know, a whole bunch of people, and I could mention name after name after name coming together because I see, and God is even stirring up more, there's a love for the Lord. Just a love for the Lord. And you get people on board where they're not caught up in themselves, you know? And and that's what we see here. We see the unity taking place. And we're going to see that it was a time when God was moving. And like I said earlier, you guys, if you could cultivate that spirit within you, don't use, you know, them and, and us. No, it's we, right? And, and, and when that happens, then God's going to do great things and then through His people. It's been said that weak things united become strong things. And that's what happens. Again, look at verse 5. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle and meeting and the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. And what's going on is everyone's doing their part. huh? You've got the priests, the Levites, the king, the congregation... They're all bringing their contributions and sacrifices are being made by everyone, but they're not complaining about the sacrifices that are being made. They're doing it with joy. So much of the sacrifice that we read here that the sheep and oxen could not be numbered for multitude. You know, I mean, just amazing. And you guys know the, 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 how valuable a sheep is! You guys know how valuable an ox would be—the the work that it would produce for you and your house. But you're like, no, I could use it for myself, sure. But you know what? God's laid it on my heart to give this to Him. And so everybody caught that vision and they're bringing it and they're just sacrificing it, you know, without number. And and again, just the the unity of the body. Uh, remember that passage we read in Ephesians four and verse sixteen. It says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And I look over here and I see that person over there and I tell you what, because of God's grace in my life, I want them to to grow. I want them to glow. I want them to be strong. I want them to experience victorious Christian living and joy and love and all the good things that life has to offer, all the blessings that come from God's hand. And I look at that person over there and I realize that that's going to happen in that person over there because of this person over here. And that person over there and that person right there and that person over there when everyone does their share, now you've got a body that's healthy and they're feeding off of each other. And this is, what they're, this is what they're doing right here. I mean, you got all these people, all these leaders, all these elders, all these chiefs uh, of heads of divisions of tribes and Solomon and all the men coming together and God would do a great work. And so we read in verse 7, it says, Then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim for the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles and the poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary but they could not be seen from outside and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb when, all, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And so most of you here are, are kind of familiar with these things. Um, some of you might not be. But, you know, you have the temple and you would go into the temple and you would have like kind of like a a room. It's not much different than this size. But then you would have another section. It was called the Most Holy Place. And in there, they would put the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in that special room over there, only the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. And they would take the blood and they would sprinkle the sacrifice right there on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, they called it, between the two cherubim. And so, again, that's symbolic of the cross, symbolic of the presence of God, symbolic of the throne of God, symbolic of heaven coming to earth. You know, that now finally goes into the most holy place. It's carried in there by the Levites and it finds its place where it belongs. And, And I know you guys know this, but just in case... Um, you guys know, huh? It doesn't matter how beautiful the building might be. Um, we're getting ready to fix up our, our, our sanctuary a little bit, okay? And we don't think, though, it's going to be this major difference, because it's not. I mean, we're going to put a little planter thing right here. We're going to change up the wood a little bit. That's about it, okay? So don't come in and expect something crazy. You know, um but I think it's okay. We talked about that how a couple of weeks ago in our study. They said they had some uh precious stones just for beauty. So, it's nothing wrong with that, but you guys know that it's not it's not even about that at the end of the day. I mean, I could probably travel to China and go to maybe some of the ugliest churches or ugliest church buildings in the world. I could I could take you to a cave somewhere in the remote section of a third world country where there's no sound system and i can probably find a place where the praise is just beautiful and the work that god's doing is just amazing and so you know god can use all these things but it's not it's not about the building it's not it's about the condition of the heart you know where is our heart right I mean, we know it doesn't matter the beauty of the building or the cost of the construction or even, to be honest with you, the elation of the congregation. Some people say, oh, they're so excited, they're so excited. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be spiritual. All of this is nothing without the presence of the Lord, without the person of the Lord being here with us and in us. And the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of that. It ultimately points us to Jesus, right? To the cross, to Christ. And what a blessing it must have finally been when they welcomed Him in to their life. I remember when I became a Christian. I'll never forget. You guys know the date, right? If you don't, then you haven't been coming here for more than three weeks. But um, I'm just joking. You know, August 20th, 1989, I'll never forget. And that day, Jesus Christ came into my life. Apart from that, prior to that day, He didn't live inside of me. He was watching over me, and He was always protecting me, and He was always around me. I, I believe that with all my heart. But on the day that I received the Lord, God came and lived inside of me, Right? And the Bible says that you're the temple of God and He lives inside of you. You know, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you know, I would encourage you to know the love of God. I would encourage you to know that you need Jesus. He loves you and He's with you, but He wants to come into your life. And I'll never forget that day when God came into my life. I mean, I was just completely, radically different. It was just amazing to me. And I know a lot of you guys have that same testimony, huh? You know, prior to that, you couldn't stop your sexual sin. Prior to that, you couldn't stop your drugs or alcohol, or the profanity. You would watch, you know, any movie or you would do anything that the world is doing because God didn't live inside of you. But then when you gave your heart to the Lord, it's just so cool, everything changed. And we're talking about something that is so absolutely amazing do you realize that and all you have to do is turn from your sins and trust in Jesus you just ask him Lord you know I'll open the door you please come in and he will and that's what happens here the ark of the covenant it it goes into the most holy place and what ends up happening is the Bible talks about this and to me it's a couple of things that uh, I think that stand out Notice again there in verse 8, it says, um, or even verse 7, the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, notice it says, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. Now, It's interesting to me, I don't know if you guys, have you ever studied cherubim? Cherubim. You know, prior to the tabernacle or the temple, and you know, when God gave Moses the design for the tabernacle and the temple, He said, I want cherubim all over the place, man. I want you to put cherubim on the curtains, and then, you know, you see it there in the temple, and you got these cherubim over the ark, and and you see them everywhere in the tabernacle. You see them everywhere in the temple. But you want to know something? They weren't actually... The only other time they're mentioned is in the book of Genesis chapter 3 prior to this where we read that God drove out the man and He placed the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The cherubim apparently were there to guard anyone from going to that tree of life in Genesis chapter 3. And so there they are, you read your Bible, and they're guarding the way to the tree of life. And you fast forward 2,500 years, never mentioned, until God says, okay, now I want you to design the tabernacle. And I want you to put cherubim everywhere, but especially right there around the Ark of the, of the Covenant. I mean, it's saturated throughout the sanctuary. And we read it here in the most holy places. They're building the temple. They're, they're directly over the Ark of the Covenant, overshadowing it, almost as if, and I don't think this is really what they're doing, but almost as if they're guarding it. It's kind of the same thing. They're over there guarding that tree of life. In one sense, they're here, overshadowing it, in, in the sense, guarding this tree of life. And it's a different tree of life goes beyond the vicinity of the Garden of Eden, and it's more close to the vicinity of the Garden of Gethsemane, where you guys know that garden, huh? That's where Jesus made His final decision to die for us. You guys know about that tree of life? You guys know about that cross, right? To me, it's interesting how they're connected there, they're connected here, And then you fast forward another, uh, what is it? I don't know, um, 4,500 years, 5,500 years if you count the Millennial Kingdom. And there's another tree of life, huh? You guys know about what I'm talking about? This is the tree of life in heaven. You know, we forfeited that first tree of life when we sinned. Uh, What happened, we believe, is the cherubim were there to guard that Adam and Eve or anyone else in a fallen condition would eat the tree of life in a fallen state. Because if they would have lived forever in a fallen state, it wouldn't have been God's perfect will. That's not God's plan. So God gave a second tree of life. It's the cross where Jesus died for us. And what that does is it makes us righteous. And it makes us perfect. But then one day we're going to see cherubim there as well in heaven. And you and I, can you imagine that day? One day we're all in line and, hey, what are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm going to go have some fruit from the tree of life. You know, we're all in line. Do you guys like fruit? I've been eating a lot of fruit lately. It's been so cool. I don't get as tired. But um, one day, you guys, we're going to eat of that tree of life. The Bible talks about it in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 22, verse 2 and 14 and what we find is that God, He emphasizes these cherubim right here in relation to the tree of life. And We know that the Bible says God dwells between the cherubim, 1 Samuel four four, and in Exodus 25.22, God says right there is where I will meet with you. Look again at verse 10. He says, Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they had come out of Egypt. How many of you guys, just out of curiosity, have like a chest of things that you put, you have a chest that you put things in, right? For, for most of us here, we have the, a lot of things in that chest. <laughs> for most of us here, we have it filled, because I just learned how life is. So we tend to collect things, huh? But imagine if you had a chest, but there was only like, you know, one thing in it. What's God saying right here? Why is He saying, well, there was nothing else except for the tablets of stone? I think what the Lord is saying right here is uh, it's just like a an attempt to communicate the simplicity of how it works with God. It's not cumbersome. It's not complex. It's not complicated. It, it really isn't. He breaks it down by mentioning the two tablets and the covenant established in the mountain range of Horeb, and more specifically, Mount Sinai within that range, where they did this, okay? They agreed to be God's people. That's what that tablet really consisted of. It consisted of a a, of a legal ratification woven within the law of God, that they agreed to be God's people. And I know it doesn't sound real complex or not real religious, but did you know that that's kind of how it works? I mean, if I were to ask you tonight, let me ask you a question: Um, Are you willing to be God's people? You know, it's as simple as that. And you can say, yes, I'll belong to God. Or you can say, no, I want to live my life. But what you find is the covenant that was established on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai through Moses. It was linked to the covenant of Jesus Christ. And even in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith. But it was a faith that they were looking forward to the cross. We, on the other hand, we look back to the cross. And it's all just rooted in the simplicity of whether or not you and I would be willing to be God's people. You see, salvation was always by faith, but in the Old Testament it was linked to the law. And in the New Testament, that faith is linked to the Lord who has fulfilled that law. And so we read in verse 11, it says, And it came to pass, when the priest came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Wouldn't that be cool, you guys? 120 trumpets, plus all these guitar players. Man. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were, notice this, I circled this in my Bible as one, to make one, and I circled that word to one, sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they had lifted their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. You could turn on the fog machine now, Henry, if, if you'd like. <laughs> Imagine that, you guys. Imagine that. You know, when they set everything in place, in the most holy place, notice there in verse 13, as all the musicians and singers were as one to make one sound, a a sound of praise as one in unison, even to the point that we read in verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And what that means, if you look back to First Chronicles 24, they had all been divided into different teams and different time frames, when they would work in the temple. They had all their distinctives, all their divisions. But when it came here, there were no divisions. They said, no, there's no divisions. All of us together... We're on the same page. We have the same heart. We're united. And we will praise Him as one. As one. And when they did that, it was at that point, man, where just the glory of the Lord came in and filled the temple. So much so that the priests couldn't even continue to minister. It was impossible for them to to minister. And, and what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you guys a, like six things for those of you who write things down. And, and I would just say this, number one, that unity brings glory. How many of you here want to see the glory of God? I want to see the glory of God. And God is just saying, okay, then you got to be one. You know, some people will come to church and they're not really interested in being one. I'm going to go and I'm going to kick back in the back row or whatever, the middle, the front. And I'm going to, who is this guy? What's up with this guy? I'm going to critique his sermon. I'm going to, you know, find some loopholes in this sermon. I'm going to come in and just look at this church right here and I'm going to see all the flaws about the church. And then I'll go and then I'll get on the phone and I'll tell you what, man, I got some juicy gossip about Calvary Chapel, El Some people are like that, and it just breaks God's heart. Not just this church. Of course, we know any church. But you know, when you come in, and you're like, you know what, I know how to see the glory. There has to be a unity. And when God begins to knit your hearts together with something like that, yeah, but Manny, you're just all messed up, Manny. Yeah, I am. Pray for me. And you know, everybody here, we have our our weaknesses. But God is doing a work. And when we have that heart of, of unity, and what I, what I think the way it works is that when we're in tune with God, we're going to be in tune with each other, you know, that we're going to see glory. We're going to see glory. And that's what ends up happening right here. I love this psalm. If you want to jump over there to Psalm 133. You guys know this psalm, I'm sure. We're going to read the whole chapter of Psalm 133. Don't worry, it's only three verses, okay? (laughs) It's a song of ascents. And so as they would, you know, be... Heading towards Jerusalem, they would sing one of these songs. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Right? It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Okay, so you got, some, you got a, a Aaron and you put some oil on him. And the oil—it it, just—it's so much oil that it comes down his beard, and it even goes down to the bottom of the edge of his garments. That's a lot of oil, right? What is the oil symbolic of? It's symbolic of the anointing of the Lord, and that's what—that's what it is. You know, when we dwell together in unity. It's that, that the glory, it's, it's the anointing of the Lord. You see him there. I think it's kind of cool upon the leader. We're going to see it even later, the leader, right? And then in verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And you guys know what dew is, right? It's also that little moisture that comes down, and everything is coming down from God. And this is the dew that they need, you know, in order for those, you know, whatever, flowers to bloom. And God is just saying, and I think it's an encouragement to us, the Bible says um, we don't have to create the unity of the Spirit. All we have to do is endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. God's not divided. And so what do we need to do? I think when you look at this section here in Chronicles, we'll go back there, you know, you see these guys singing as one. And they're really praising, huh? I mean, I I wish sometimes I, I wish that we could just all like, okay, let's just praise the Lord together, man. Let's all I mean, are you guys like in to the praise and worship? Are you guys like singing? Loud. I know some of you are, but some of you are like holding back so much. Imagine if during praise we all gave it a hundred percent, hundred percent. You're like, man, you don't wouldn't want to hear me sing. And don't worry, because if everybody's singing, we won't we won't hear your terrible voice, man. (laughs) You know. Um, No, but you know, I don't know. I pray, you guys, that during worship time, that if necessary, you close your eyes. If you don't know the words, I understand you have to look at the screen, but you don't even worry about the person next to you, the person in front of you, or like, well, how many people are here, or is so-and-so here, you know, because I kind of like her. I mean, you name it, man. You've got people wandering eyes for so many different reasons. During worship, man, we got to worship. And when that happens, look at what happens, man. The glory of the Lord, it came and it filled that place to such a way that they were not able, the priests were not able to minister. Now, um, some people want this to happen all the time. They want uh, this, uh, you know, priests, you know, not to minister. Uh, they want this to happen at all the subsequent services, right? I remember the day when we started the temple, man, and the glory of God just filled the temple and there was like the smoke and the cloud and the presence of God and the priests had to go out there because, <laughs> you know, they weren't able to minister. There are some people who kind of think, well, that's the way it should be at all subsequent services. But really, that's not really the way it's supposed to be. Um, I think people looking for signs, they're looking for that kind of smoke, Um, But that's not God's design. You know, some people misinterpret chaos and out of order with the moving of the Holy Spirit. But 1 Corinthians 14, it clearly corrects that misconception. It says, let all things be done decently and in order. You know, of course, I think that during church services that we need to do our best to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But really, the primary objective is to teach you the Word. Because this is what I was learning, and I was talking to Henry about this the other day, that if you get caught up in experiences, you're like, well, i got to feel that feeling, or I have to experience that experience, then you open yourself up to to whatever. And the next thing you know, you want a greater experience, and you want a greater experience. And, And time has told us that eventually, you want to swing from the chandeliers, no offense. You know what? You want to know something? The Word of God, when it's delivered to our heart by the Spirit of God, transforming us into the image of God and making us people of God, conformed into the, you know, the character of Christ. That's what it's all about. I don't have to get a feeling. I don't have to get an experience. You know what I have to do? I have to take His Word and learn what it tells me who are you supposed to be as a man? Who are you supposed to be as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a son, as a servant? It's all, it's all revealed in the Bible. And then to go out and to live it. Oh, but I can't live it. Why not? Why can't you live it? Doesn't the Spirit of God live within you? Why can't you live it? Oh, I need some type of mystical experience. Really? You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. This is my message. This is your message. You know, I think it's cool what ends up happening. And what you find in Exodus chapter 40, this is the same thing that happened when they finished the tabernacle. Exact same thing, the cloud filled the tabernacle so that Moses was not able to enter it. Same thing happens here, the cloud, it fills the temple so that they're no longer able to to minister there. It didn't happen subsequently, but what we find is that God is establishing a new order. You know, what we find is that God is saying, he's saying a few things right here. What he's saying is he's establishing this tabernacle. He's establishing this temple. It's a new era. It's a new movement. And uh, it's going to happen again in the new temple in the kingdom age. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 43 verse 5. And so that's the the primary thing. Another thing that I want to encourage you guys to know what this uh, communicates is that what would happen if really like the presence of God came in this place? Okay, in in, a, in in this way. Now he talks about a thick cloud there, or um, where is it right there in verse, uh, oh yeah, verse 1, we're going to look at it, chapter 6, and he dwells on a dark cloud. The the reason is because if God was to reveal himself fully to you guys, you know what would happen? You would obliterate. <laughs> you would disappear because we don't have the bodies to be able to handle something like that. So God, even when Jesus came, He was kind of masked in a certain sense, right? But what ended up happening was as the Lord came and and He filled this place, men had to leave because you guys know this, huh? That we're wretched. That we are wretched people. He's a holy God, right? And He's saying and He's communicating the message as He establishes this new work that this is God. And this is men. Do you guys know the difference? Men are vessels, but they are not the source of ministry. Men work, but they are never to be worshipped for that work because they're wicked. Essentially, God is saying, let's make sure we establish that fact. God is God. And all other people, men, are just men. Now we honor them, we love them, we respect them, but we do not look to them to guide my life. We do not look to men, give me the power of God. Don't you ever go to a man to look for the power of God. You go to God. Because when God shows up, all the men, they leave. Do you want what God can give you? Or do you want what men can give you? It doesn't mean you don't go to church. It doesn't mean that we're not part of a body. But it means that when I look, I really do look to the Lord. And you know, I think you guys are okay with that. I know you would prefer the glory of God way over the glory of men. And then one last thing, and I need to say this because um, I, I sometimes I think that people don't understand this. You guys know that all men are expendable. You guys know that, and by expendable it means that that God doesn't need me, and God doesn't need you either. You're like, oh, well, what would it? What if Manny wasn't there? What if that guy wasn't there anymore? What if that person of ministry wasn't there more? Or what if something happened to them? Or what if they left? You want to know something? God doesn't need us. This is God's church. This is God's work. He loves his church. He loves Calvary Chapel, Almani. He loves the people. And he really wants to communicate that. And I pray because I know sometimes I have to tell myself that over and over again. Lord, You'll sustain your church, won't you? And the truth is, He will, because men are just men and God is God. But here's the thing. At the same time, uh, the divine doctrine, it doesn't in any way diminish the way God is willing to use man. What a privilege it is to be used by Him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Then Solomon spoke, And the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. And you can read the Psalms that um, Solomon spoke from regarding God saying that he would dwell in this dark cloud. But it's kind of interesting. We're going to see this as we go through the next section right here. We're going to see it over and over again that we see in verse 1 God, God's work and we see in verse 2 man's Work or man's part or man's cooperation. Um, Look at verse 3. Then the king turned around and, and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands. What he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel." Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple of my name. And so the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. And I have filled the position of my father, David, and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have put the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with the children of Israel. And and in looking at this, it's such a glorious work. I don't know if you guys can kind of follow what's going on. They, they finish the temple. They put the ark in there. And all of a sudden, the, just the glory of God, and the smoke, it fills the place. And, and so they go outside. And then we're going to see now Solomon, you know, he begins to speak. And later we're going to see he begins to pray. And it's such a glorious work that the Lord did. It's interesting, three times we find the word fulfilled. God fulfilled it. It was Him. It was God. He spoke it with His mouth. He fulfilled it with His might. He said it was going to happen. He predicted it. He prophesied it. He's the one that chose Jerusalem. He's the one that chose David. He's the one that chose me, Solomon. When it was in my father's heart to do it and he would have done it, God said, no, I want Solomon to do it. Basically, what he's saying is that God's fingerprints are all over this temple, right? It's the Lord. It's the Lord, right? But look at, look at verse um, 4. I think this is kind of cool. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled it with his hands. And you're like, time out. What do you mean he fulfilled it with his hands? And we're talking about this temple, and we understand that He spoke it with His mouth, the prophecies and all that. But how did God fulfill it with His hands, right? And and really, you guys, how was the temple built? Tens of thousands of men and women working hard, huh? Exerting earnest effort and labor, and trouble, and toil, and sacrifice, and sweat. Imagine how hard it was to build that temple, but the thing is this, is as they're building that temple, and they're moving the rock, and they're making the, you know, the curtain, and the gold, all that stuff, you know who they are, you know what they are? They are the hands of God. And in one sense, I think it's kind of cool to know that you are too. As there, you're there, and you know you're making menudo, you know, as that you're there, and you're whatever changing a diaper, as you're there, and you're saying a little prayer before you you eat, Lord, please bless you know Calvary Chapel Almani and touch that person or or whatever. That that as you're working, you're the hands of God, and to me, it's just so cool when when you look at it. It's interesting. The Bible describes Jesus as the head, and we are the body. According to Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, or maybe you weren't saved yet, Audio Adrenaline, 2006. Do you guys remember that group? Uh, They had that song, Hands and Feet, talking about how we're the hands and feet of God in one sense. In 2003, Casting Crowns came out with that song, If We Are the Body. Do you guys remember that song? Some of you guys can probably sing it. Would you sing it? No, I'm just joking. If we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? You know, we're the body. You know, sometimes we want God to do something great. And, and when I pray, I pray, I pray for my wife, I pray for my kids. I pray for them with all my heart. And God is saying, cool, but remember, Manny, you know, you're the hands. So, Lord, how am I going to do it? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to get them, Lord, with my hand, right? No. And Lord is just saying, you, you want them, or whatever, you want that person, or you want that to happen, then, then you live the life. And you love them. You love them. And you love them with my love, my unconditional love. And, and whatever it is, as we're, we're wanting to build up the temple, so to speak, which is also congregational, universal, personal, God says, I'll use your life. You're the hands, right? And it's another lesson, I think, on the beautiful balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. I, one guy said, and I don't know if it was Augustine, because some say it was Augustine, others say it was D.M. Moody. Here's what I want to share with you guys. Work... As if it all depended on you, but trust, knowing that it all depends on God. Let's not be lazy, let's be His hands, right? In verse 12, uh, it says And then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands, for Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. And it's interesting, here Solomon, he gets up on the platform at seven and a half feet, by seven and a half feet, is about four and a half feet high. And first he stands in front of everybody, but then he kneels uh, before everybody and he just spreads out his hand. Uh, To me, you don't have to kneel when you pray. But when you do, it's supposed to be a a visual of your submission. Submission to God. And, And as he's there on his knees, he lifts up his hands, which are a sign of what? Surrender. Surrender to God. So you're on your knees in submission. You have your hands lifted in surrender. And you know what happens when that happens? Supply. Then you can kind of turn your hands. First, your hands are like this. Lord, I surrender. I'm broken. I will no longer hate that person. I will no longer hold on to that sin. There are some people, they are not surrendered. You are destroying yourself. It is time to be broken. Surrender. And then you can turn your hands a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're going to find that God is going to supply the things that he wants to bless you with. And Solomon is there and he prays uh, to the Lord. And it's kind of cool how he looks back and he says, Lord, you did all this. You know, he looks back on the faithfulness of God. And that should lead us to looking forward in faith for the future. You see, if you have a clear view of God in the past, then you will have a confident view of God in the future. And he tells God, You're the only God. You're the covenant keeping God. And you know, he looks back and he uses David as an example. David as an example. And you want to know something? I'm so glad he used David as an example. I'm so glad he didn't use Joseph as an example. Because Joseph, there's no sin, man. And I'm glad he didn't use Daniel as an example because we don't see any of his flaws. But he used David. As an example, a man after God's own heart. You know what that does for me? It gives me hope, right? Because when we fall and we stumble, it's not over, right? And so he uses David as an example and he says, Lord, you've done this beautiful work. And then in verse 16, Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk in my law as you have walked before me. And now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true which you have spoken to your servant David. And so it's interesting how he looks back and then he looks like to the present and the future. And he says, Lord, you've been faithful all this time. And so, Lord, I'm praying, banking on that that you will for the future. Do you guys ever like freak out about your future? Do you ever worry about it? What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to your kids? What's going to happen to your grandchildren? What's going to happen to... And then you, you think about all these things. And what, what we see the Bible really encourages us in is you, the future is your friend because Jesus is your Lord. And you can look back and you can see that he has never, ever failed. He has kept all of his promises. And what, what Solomon here is just saying, because of, you've been like that, Lord, I'm just praying, please continue to do that. And you know, you said you would do this, keep the kings on the throne, and we got to do our part, which is walk in your ways, right? And then in verse 18, he says, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. So is God going to answer your prayer? When you get on your knees and you pray for your kids, is God going to answer your prayer? You know, um, Lord, we're just praying, you know, keep that covenant. I mean, this, you know, in all reality, this temple that we built When compared to the vastness of you and your universe, it's a simple temple. And Lord, I know we're a sinful people, but Lord, we are your people. And that's kind of how he closes it, and that's how we'll close this evening. He says, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yea, regard the prayer of your servant and the supplication, O Lord, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple day and night, toward the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And Lord willing, next time we get together, we're going to see all the different scenarios that Solomon brings in. If they do this, forgive them. If they do that, forgive them. If they do that, forgive them. But today I just wanted to end it in that general sense of, at the end of the day, that's the most important prayer that we pray. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know this isn't much compared to you know Isaiah 66, verse 1. It says, Heaven's your throne and earth's your footstool. I, I know this isn't much. But Lord, it's, it's, it's everything that we have. Lord, will you forgive me of my sins? And like I said earlier, I just want to, for those of you who are writing things down, I want to kind of give you something to carry away, something to think about. Number one, unity and glory. That when there's unity, there will be glory. Number two, praise and presence. That if you want to experience the presence of God, I want to encourage you, praise Him with a pure heart. Number three, head and hands. Jesus is the head. Thank God for that, because I'm not smart enough. But we are the hands. God help us to work with that understanding. Number four, past and future. You can look back and you can see God's faithfulness so you can look forward and have faith. Number five, surrender and supply. That as you surrender, then God will supply. And then number six, faith and forgiveness. That as you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God will forgive you of your sins. Isn't that cool to know? You guys are all jacked up, but, but you're forgiven people. I mean, even Bob. I mean, it's just uh, amazing to me, man. I mean, I just trip out on that. <laughs> There's a story that one night Martin Luther, he went to sleep and he was really troubled about his sin. And he had a dream. Apparently, there was a, a being standing by a blackboard. And at the top of the board was Luther's name. And the being had a chalk in his hand and was just listing all of Luther's sins. And and the list, it just filled the blackboard with all of his sins. And so in the dream, uh, Martin Luther shuddered in despair, feeling that his sins were so many that he could never be forgiven. But suddenly in his dream, uh, another hand appeared on the scene. It was a pierced hand writing above the list these words, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And as Luther gazed in amazement, the blood flowed down from the hand, and it washed his record clean. You see, that's what the Lord has done for us. You know, there's a people out there, there's a world out there, even in here maybe, you need to know that message of forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. And as you pray to receive Him as Lord and Savior, as you pray with a heart that says, I don't want any more of that, Lord. You know what He does? He pardons. He forgives. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, I think, wow, Lord, this is a real good reason for us to praise you as we close the service tonight with volume. With volume. Sometimes we talk to Sergio and... And, uh, and the sound ministry, and, and maybe even some of you have felt this way before. Have you ever felt like the the worship's too loud? Like, ah, it's kind of loud today. Well, you know what I want to do? I want to close the service. We're going to make it louder out there <laughs> than it is in here. Okay, so I'm going to go sit next to somebody who I know has a good voice. <laughs> And we'll close the night. Lord, we thank you so much for being such an awesome God, Lord. You're building a temple. You're, you're building me, Lord, and I need a lot of work. I know, Lord, it's going to take a long time. But I thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on me. As a matter of fact, I thank you that in Christ, Lord, I am forgiven. And I pray my brothers and sisters here would know that, and that tonight, they would just stimulate within them a heart of adoration and praise. And And Lord, I also pray if there's anyone here who who doesn't know that, or that today, Lord, they would give their life to Christ. They would surrender.